Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. You may be intellectually brilliant. Socially, you may be very well adjusted. Financially, you may be very successful. Culturally, you may think of yourself as very sophisticated. Educationally, you may be very well read. But apart from God's amazing grace, you're dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. The gospel of Jesus Christ demonstrates the matchless grace of God, and we often sing about amazing grace. But perhaps you're not sure what grace is or why grace is such a big deal. So today we're beginning a new study on why grace is so amazing. Let's join Pastor John Monroe as he introduces our new series. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. These are the words of the very familiar hymn which we all love. It always seems appropriate to sing it, and it's one of the most common hymns sung at funerals. Bagpipes playing Amazing Grace is a very emotional experience for me. Of course, being Scottish, I love the bagpipes, but I love God's Amazing Grace even more. Today we begin a new series on grace. But what is grace? And why is grace amazing? It's all well and good to sing the hymn, but it is essential that we understand grace, why we need it, and how God's grace comes to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I know you will listen intently as we deal with this all-important subject of God's amazing grace. John Newton was an English slave trader. It doesn't get much worse than that, does it? Making your living buying and selling slaves. Uh, But did you know that this slave trader, this Englishman, John Newton, wrote the hymn that we've sung, Amazing Grace. We all love the hymn, but what is grace and why is it really amazing? Today we begin a series called Grace is Really Amazing. God's amazing grace, I believe, is at the very heart of the Christian life. This amazing grace is the most radical, the most beautiful, the most wonderful concept and truth ever imaginable. And uh, this message is a very important message. So I want all of you to listen very, very carefully because at the end of the message, I'm going to be asking each of you, yes, each one of you, whoever you are, some of you are here for the first time, Some of you have sat in these pews now for years, but whoever you are, I'm asking you for a personal, yes, a personal response. I've been praying that every single one of us will leave with the assurance that we are truly saved by God's amazing grace. Our passage, and I ask you to turn with me to it, is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and we're going to read the first 10 verses as Paul expounds something of this grace, which is really amazing. So let me read with you Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From the opening verses of this wonderful chapter, it is clear, first of all, that you desperately need God's amazing grace. Whoever you are today, you desperately need God's amazing grace. You say, why is that? Because of who God is. God is a holy God. God's holiness and purity are so overwhelming, so overwhelming in their brilliance that not one of us could stand by ourselves in the presence of God. And God is so holy that he can't compromise his holiness. You wouldn't think much of a judge who ignored the standards of justice and acquitted a man who had committed murder, say. And God, who is a holy God, has given us his holy law, his holy standard. We call that the Ten Commandments. He has revealed his standard to this world. And so here is good news. If you perfectly obey God's commandments all of the time, if you've always obeyed them, are obeying them now, and know that for the future, as long as you live, you will obey these commandments, you'll get into heaven. Is that good news? You say, well, I think that's more bad news than good news. And you're right. Because the reality is, not that there's anything wrong with the standard, but you and I are not perfect. You say, well, I may not be perfect pastor, but I'm a very good person. Well, when you say you're good, you have to ask yourself this question, good compared with what? Good compared with whom? What is your standard of goodness? When I was at elementary school, I could run faster than anyone else in my class. When I went to high school, although I could run very fast and ran for the school, I was no longer the fastest runner. What was happening? The standard was getting higher. So at elementary school, I was an excellent runner. At high school, I was very good. But if I had competed in the Olympics, I wouldn't have been good at all. And so when we talk about being good, we have to ask ourselves, what is the standard? And in trying to know God, and in trying to have a relationship with God, and to be assured that when we die, we will go to heaven, we realize that we have this huge, I would say, insuperable obstacle. God's standard is one of moral perfection. It is of flawless purity. He doesn't grade on the curve. The Bible puts it very bluntly and says that all of us, without exception, have sinned. God has given us his standard. 
He says, this is how I want you to live. You are my creatures. I have created you. And here is how you are to live. You're to do certain things and you're not to do other things. This is my standard. The problem is not with the standard. The problem is with us. So Paul says, all of us have sinned and come short. And the point is, and continue to come short of my glory of God's holy standard. And so the fact is that we are all far from perfect. In fact, to use a politically incorrect term, but a theologically correct one, we are all sinners. And this means that the chasm, the gulf between us and God is immense. So perhaps you wonder if somehow you on your own could cross that chasm or in some other way reach the other side. Perhaps you think if I'm religious... Perhaps if I'm very sincere, perhaps if I give my life to helping others and being very, very generous, perhaps then God would accept me. But I ask you, how good do you have to be? How sincere do you have to be? Is anyone really sincere all of the time? How would you quantify whether you had done enough good things? And after all, more fundamentally, what about this failure, what the Bible calls Sin coming short of God's standard. Now, as we read here in Ephesians 3, Paul gives us a threefold picture and not a very flattering one of our desperate need for God's amazing grace. Look with me at verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1 says, Paul, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. As far as God is concerned, spiritually speaking, We are dead. Not just slightly flawed, looking for improvement, self-improvement in some area of our life. Not just lost, looking for direction. Not just unfulfilled, looking to realize our potential. Not just weak, looking for strength. Not just unhappy, looking for joy. Paul says, as far as God is concerned, you're spiritually dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. You may be intellectually brilliant. Socially, you may be very well adjusted. Financially, you may be very successful. Culturally, you may think of yourself as very sophisticated. Educationally, you may be very well read. But apart from God's amazing grace, you're dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, if this is our basic problem, and it is... The remedy then is not in reformation of character. It's not in a change in your personality. It's not that you must be better educated. It's not that there must be an improvement in our political, social, and economic situation, although we certainly could do with that. All of that, important although they are in their own place, all of these things don't have any effect on a dead person. You're beginning to understand why you need God's Amazing grace. It it is only the living God who, in the miracle of His grace, can give spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. So first, says Paul, you're dead. Secondly, in verses 2 and 3, he says, We're slaves in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan himself. The spirit that is is at now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This again is not very flattering, is it? We are slaves, spiritually speaking, conformed to the course of this world. That is, we follow the values, uh, the mindset of this world. Slaves under the control of Satan. But someone says, well, hold it, pastor, that's going a little far. In this country, we value our freedom. We really are free. Well, we may think that we're free. Is it not the case? In reality, spiritually speaking, you're a slave to your pride, your selfish ambition, lust, greed, envy, deception. We sin because it's our very nature to sin. But you say, well, I used to have this problem in life. I had this sinful habit, but through self-discipline, through some therapy, I now no longer pursue this particular destructive course of activity. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're no longer doing that. But this I can guarantee. You may stop a certain sinful habit. You may stop a certain destructive course of conduct in your life, which is harmful to yourself and others. But this I guarantee you cannot, you cannot stop sinning. And this is what Paul is saying. We're dead. We're slaves. Third, we are condemned. The end of verse 3. Where by nature, notice that, by nature, not by your environment, not because of the home you came from, but by nature you were born like this. Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All of us are involved here. And here Paul presents something which is very objectionable to us nowadays. He tells us that because of our sin, we're under the wrath of God. Paul, as he begins his exposition of the gospel in Romans, says in Romans 1 verse 18, that the wrath of God, God's wrath, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Do you understand that? That the wages of sin is death. And so Paul is picturing us prisoners in a condemned cell. The verdict against us is guilty because of our sin. The wages is death. It is true the death penalty has not yet been carried out, but this is the picture we're in. Condemned by God because of our sin. Now notice what Paul is doing. This is so important. I want you to grasp this point this morning. Before Paul magnifies the amazing grace of God, he first describes our desperate situation. And it is our desperate situation and our desperate need. We're dead. We're slaves. We're in a condemned cell. You see, if you don't see yourself from God's perspective, if you don't see yourself as you actually are, not in the view of the world, of course, perhaps not even in your own view, but if you don't understand your situation before God, grace will have little meaning for you. Before John Newton, the terrible slave trader who gave us the hymn Amazing Grace, before he was converted, he felt himself, I quote his actual words, sinking under the weight of all of my sins into the ocean and into the silence of eternity. Here is a man 
a rough man, an evil man, a slave trader, a seaman, but God begins to work in his soul. And he begins to become convicted, not just of the sin of dealing with slaves, but with something even deeper, that sin within him. And he says, I feel the weight of sin. And it's, as it were, it's like a, a weight on him and it's pulling him right to the very floor of the ocean and into, he says, the silence of eternity. St. Anselm wrote, dealing with this, he said, you have not yet considered how great your sin is. I want you this morning to do something very, very serious, and that is to consider your own sin. You see, if you think God's amazing grace is just to make you happier in life, if you think you're going to come to Jesus because he's some kind of super psychiatrist to cheer you up, So that you can get a job, so your marriage can be improved, so you can make money, so you can be better adjusted in life. If you think of God's grace that way, you will never really know it. But the more you understand the weight of your own sin, the greater and growing appreciation you will have of the amazing grace of God. Now Paul is saying this is your basic problem. Your sins are like a huge debt piled up against you that you can't possibly pay off. All of us are in this desperate situation, not only unable to change yourself. It's like someone who would be absolutely dirty, caked with mud, going into a mud hole trying to clean them. You can't clean yourself with dirty water. You can't change yourself. And I can't change you. You desperately need God's amazing grace. Now, secondly, Paul is going to say that this amazing grace is offered to you through Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 4. But God, isn't this marvelous? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved. That's unbelievable almost, isn't it? When we think of who we are, that you are greatly, greatly loved by God. That God loves you. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love for you is so great that he desires we who by nature are children of wrath, to use the terminology of verse 3. We who by nature are children of wrath, he wants us to be children of God. This is what John explains in 1 John 3. John, the disciple of love. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Do you understand not only God's love, but the depth of this love, this love which is immeasurable, the manner of it, the kind of love in it, it is so great, it's so unbelievable that in spite of who we are by nature, this amazing God not only loves us a little bit, he loves us so much that he desires that you be part of his eternal family. 
Here is an astonishing truth, isn't it? That although we are sinful, God loves us. And the great proof of God's love for us is that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners. Yes, this grace is really amazing. Do you realize that in amazing grace, Jesus Christ is searching for you? He said that himself, that he'd come to seek the lost. Isn't that case in your life? Take a moment and reflect on your life. Think of the times in your life when God has been getting your attention. Perhaps in a difficulty, perhaps in a time of great joy, but you look back over your life and you realize that God was speaking to you, that God was getting your attention. Perhaps your back was towards God. Perhaps you didn't want God in your life. But God has his own ways, doesn't he, of getting our attention. He is searching for you. And this is the reason why our blessed Savior came into this world. Because we couldn't reach God by ourselves. Because of our sin and our failure. That terrible barrier between us and God. Now God in his love, his great love, this one who is rich in mercy sends Jesus Christ into this world. Emmanuel, God with us. And he not only comes to search us, he comes to save us. John three seventeen, For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's grace. That God didn't send Jesus Christ into this world to condemn us and judge us, although we deserve that. We've broken his law. He comes in infinite grace, immeasurable grace. He comes to save us. And before we can get right with God, before you can get right with God, the whole problem of our sin, which separates us from God, has to be dealt with. We've broken the law of God. The penalty is death. But on the cross... Our Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty which has to be paid because of our sin. When just before our Lord died on the cross, he shouted, it is finished. That means that the penalty which has to be paid because of our sin has been paid in full by another, our substitute, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Pastor John Monroe, and you're listening to The Verdict. Today, we began a new series all about grace, and we'll continue our lesson next time. But before then, we encourage you to visit our website at theverdict.org. There you can explore some of John's previous series and check out all of our biblical study tools, like our current featured resource. It's a custom booklet that ties in with the themes and lessons of our new study on grace, and it's titled Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. Learn firsthand from John's personal testimony and gain a deeper understanding of why followers of Christ can be assured of their eternal salvation. You can download or request a mailed copy of this special resource when you visit our website at theverdict.org. There you'll also want to sign up for John's monthly email to receive exclusive updates and invites to everything here at The Verdict. And as we step into this special season of giving, we encourage you to help us give the gift of God's Word to other listeners by supporting the verdict with a donation of any size. You can donate whatever amount you feel led to today 
by visiting theverdict.org. You can also give over the phone by calling us at 833-551-2231 or send a check through the mail. Just address your envelope to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? Are you beginning to understand why you need God's grace? It is essential that we understand why we cannot save ourselves. There is something deep within us which needs a radical change, and we are entirely dependent on God's amazing grace. The good news of the gospel is that while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Today, receive God's grace. Next time, we continue thinking about why grace is so amazing. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.